Welcome to Season 2 of the Practicing Presence Podcast, where spiritual formation is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion, where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with God, others, and ourselves. What's going on, practitioners? What up? How we doing, friends? So let's have a conversation about discerning the divine through Scripture. Yes, let's do this. Um... So we have some other podcast series. Um, I think maybe we might have one on this podcast. We might have, I know for sure we've got some on Pints and Perspectives. Um, But some different um, conversation series around the Bible. We did also on this podcast do a whole series on... um, Inspired by Rachel L. Dovins. So there's lots of other podcasts that you can go to for deeper dives into what we think the Bible is. Yeah, I'm going to kind of summarize it because I think I have kind of made my language around the Bible more succinct these days. And so a quick idea of what I think the Bible is. My kind of definition of what the Bible is, is it's the inspired uh, record of revelation. It is our sacred book um, of the ways in which it has been recorded, the interactions between God and the people of God. Um, And when I say inspired, I'm using that word in the same way that everybody else has used that word coming from the Timothy epistle, 2 Timothy 3, um, that all scripture is God-breathed. This is a made-up word. Whoever wrote this epistle to Timothy made it up. Yeah. So it's God-breathed. And scripture is referring to the Old Testament, I personally think that if it means that it's God-breathed, that that means that God has somehow breathed into it. And if God has breathed into it, then God also must breathe out of it. Right. That it it has something to give us um, from it. And whatever kind of supernatural way that happens, um, I definitely believe that exists. Yeah. Um. But in the same way, I don't think it's perfect. No. Um, In like some kind of inerrancy sense. If you were going to pin me down on this, I would absolutely affirm some kind of infallibility position um, in that, yeah, the Bible is perfect with regard to its purpose. It's purpose to be um, a guide for divine wisdom, like a place to pursue God um, a, a, that records the record of the revelation of God and Jesus Christ, like all of these things, all these things matter, but it's not perfect. It's I mean, not it's, without error. It's not without error. It is in, not inerrant. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I would say um, it's not, 
And I even struggle using the word infallibility, like infallible, because the way they would take that is like, well, anything related to spiritual matters. And I'm like, well, I'm not actually sure it's there either. Because like, would you call women in ministry a spiritual matter? Yes. I would too. The Bible doesn't seem to be very clear on it. No. Would you call, all over the place. Would you call divorce a spiritual issue? Yes. Yeah. Bible seems to be in a couple different places on that depending on where you're reading from. Um, and so even that language feels weird to me um, to say, but I absolutely believe that in some way it's inspired and that God has breathed into it and that he has, that that means that God is going to breathe out of it. And at that fu- doesn't at a fundamental level, the Bible in and of itself is a good thing. Yeah. Right, like that—that that is the thing that we're trying to communicate. <clears throat> no matter what issues we might see or might present from our reading, our reading of it, right, our perspective on the book and other people's perspective on the book, fundamentally, is it is a good thing, and we love it, and we love what it is. Yeah. Um Where I was trying to go was that if God breathed into it, that we shouldn't naturally just make up that that somehow means it's perfect. Because that's what we did. We said that because God breathed into it, that somehow made it perfect. And so that's the main basis for inerrancy is that it's inspired by God, or God breathed. Cool. Well, when I read the scriptures, the first thing that God ever breathed into was humanity. They were somehow perfectly imperfect because they sinned. Mm -hmm. They turned against God. And so God breathing into something doesn't guarantee it perfection. No. In in a way of without error. Right. Because that's certainly not what happened with Adam and Eve. Right. And so I kind of think that's a dumb conversation to have, if I'm being real honest. Um, I understand why we're trying to have it. Because what we really want is we want people to come to the, to the place where they say the Bible is authoritative. Right. That the Bible in some way governs decision-making power over my life that I am going to faithfully try to live my life according to this book. That that's why we have conversations of inerrancy and infallibility because people want you to come to a place where they say, Hey, this book matters and what it says, how we're supposed to act matters. Now, I would absolutely affirm that, that this is an authoritative book. But what in it is authoritative? That's a great question. Um, Hey, Clayton, what kind of fabric is that shirt? Not a cotton shirt? It is a cotton shirt. Yeah, it's a Ralph Lauren shirt. That looks sharp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of fabric are your pants? A blend. A blend? Polyester blend? Yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, Sin. Yeah. According to Leviticus. Yep. Sin. Um, 
Hey, Cullen, your tattoos. <laughs> oh, yeah. Piercings. Piercings, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, acne. Mm. Acne, when you have severe acne and it's flared up and you have open sores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unclean. Right. Sin. Saying that the Bible is authoritative is not as easy as saying as everything in it is authoritative. There has to be some kind of hermeneutical journey here. Hermeneutic is the fancy word for interpretation. There has to be some interpretation, interpretive journey here of what holds authority and what does not. And so, if you're going to say, which I think, I think we would all do well to say this, that this book is authoritative and guides our life and living in some capacity, how would one, what do you think would be the most important things for people to think, okay, these are the things that are authoritative? And how, and how do you do that? Okay. I'm asking you personally. Me personally. You personally. As a person. Excuse me, as a person who's never been to theology school, as a person who's, you know, just been around church, read the Bible a little bit, try deconstructing, trying to figure all this stuff out. Yeah. How do you, how do you do it? What what's your deal? So, my thing is I try to base everything off of Jesus. Okay. Um, which gets me into some trouble sometimes. It does. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't address everything. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, but base it off of Jesus and what we see in the character of Jesus. Well, and even the stuff that he does say sometimes really don't help you. No. Like, oh, hey, if you lust, gouge out your eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it cut off. Cut it off. Uh, Golly, okay. Heard, Jesus. Very extreme language there. Um, more, more. I guess what I'm trying to communicate is what we see in Jesus through the Gospels. Um, we get a lot of his character, and I try to base everything off of that. Does it is the way that I'm reading this particular text? Does it line up with the character of Jesus? Is there some way that I can justify the way that I'm reading this text to the character of Jesus? If not, then I need to reevaluate. Okay. Um, And that's kind of my litmus. So Jesus is your litmus test. Mm -hmm. So if Jesus is your litmus test, what does that mean when you read Paul? Sometimes it's hard. (laughs) Um, because when I read Paul, there's things that there are statements that Paul makes that, um, seem kind of irrelevant or very specific to, uh, the audience that he's writing to. We say all the time, the Bible is written for us, not to us. Correct. Um, and so having conversations about women in church and um, 
you know, the, the sexual issues that were happening in the sexual exploitation that was happening in the Corinthian church, right? Like these are things that Jesus didn't really talk about, but I can kind of connect that issue to Jesus's deal of equity that we see about the first will be last and the last will be first. Um, there are ways that I can do it that way, but then sometimes there are things like, um, hey, bring my books next time you come see me, that like very clearly not meant to be a theological statement um, that don't really have anything to do with the message of Jesus. Um, so... It's, I mean, it's an interesting question um, because I think the whole story is leading up to Jesus, for sure. The whole story is leading up. Jesus is the culminating, like he's the climax of the story of the Bible. Um. But if you judge everything off Jesus, there's a lot of questions you don't get answered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's how I do it. Anytime I approach a text, the first thing I ask myself is, and I think this is one of the most important questions we have to ask ourselves as we determine how to interpret this book is through our hermeneutic. And if we're having a conversation about discerning the divine, this is how you do it. Don't don't listen to the fundamentalist preacher that you hear on Instagram go, oh my gosh, why can't I ever hear God speak? But your Bible's closed over there. Stop that nonsense. Stop. Yes. Does God speak through this? Absolutely. It's not but, the only way that God speaks. Well, it's not the only way that God speaks. And if you're not careful, you'll go read things like First Peter and women will come out not wearing makeup. Not wearing jewelry. Right. Okay, well, now we got a problem because the rest of the world's going to still do that. And now we've got women that have low self-esteem because they walk around sacrificing in this way because they had a poor hermeneutic or their pastor had a poor hermeneutic. So how do you do it? Well, here's my advice. Oh, real quick. Women wearing makeup is not the thing that determines their self-esteem. Oh, no, by no means. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Just, yeah, great clarifying. Yeah. yeah, by no means. Absolutely not. Women, you are beautiful just the way you are in whatever state you find yourself in. Um, my point in that was that's perpetuating cultures of shame through the power dynamics of men and women. Right. That's probably, yeah. If you want to wear makeup, dope. If you want to have piercings, dope. If you don't want either, cool too. Dope. You do you, boo. Um, When you approach the Bible, the first thing you should ask after reading a text is, is this universal? Mm -hmm. Is this cultural? Or is this contextual? And here's how I break those down. When I'm reading in Leviticus, 
and I read, don't wear clothes of different fabric. Okay. Is that a universal command? Is that a cultural command? Or is that a contextual command? So universal would be, that's here to stay, never to go. Getting rid of that would be to get a, get rid of something that's like against the character of God. Right. Context, uh, cultural is like, hey, is this something that's related to that specific culture of people? Contextual is, is that related to that specific context? Meaning something can be cultural and not contextual. So contextual can be, hey, cultural can be, hey, this is American culture. We do this in America. Mm. We eat pizza. <laughs> we eat hot dogs at baseball games. No, I'm going pizza because I need the pizza metaphor. Okay. Um, pizza is Never mind. It'll make sense when, and this is why I said American. Okay. Um. What that pizza looks like is contextual. Oh, fair. Because if you're in Detroit, that's pan-style deep dish. Oh, but if you're in New York, that's hand-tossed, big, thick slice, lots of dough, grease. Very different contexts of pizza. Both fit within the confines of American culture. You see how it's this gradient tier? Universal, everybody cultural, a people group mm. or population, culture, and then contextual is a subcategory within that culture that's even more uh, specific to like a region or maybe even a time period. So for instance, like a contextual element is the, the double fabric thing. Why, why was it commanded that they wouldn't wear multiple types of fabric? It was an identifier of Jewishness. Mm. Because what was the other identifier of Jewishness? Circumcision. You're just going to pull your pee-pee out every time you, know you <laughs> prove to somebody you're Jew? Yeah. No. They needed another identifier amongst themselves. The not wearing multiple fabrics thing was them to identify one another. Was them to identify other Jews. Not for any other... Like, that's absolutely cultural. Yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with the context. It's a culture. It's so that they can, because remember, there's 12 tribes mm -hmm. by the end of it. And so, and there's like 30,000 of them, 36,000 of them when they leave Egypt. They need identifiers of how to figure out who's who. Yeah. They're not living in the shanty village of Egypt anymore. They're out and about. They're nomads, 36,000 strong wandering around. They need these identifiers. That's a cultural determination. A contextual one. This is what I mean by context. Genesis 19. Do you know what story that is? Remind me. Story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, yeah. Very famous, infamous story. Ezekiel, prophet of the Old Testament. Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 17. Don't quote me on that. You can Google this. It's very common knowledge. Ezekiel interprets and refers to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he 
writes what their sin was that destroyed them, why God had to destroy the city, it's their lack of hospitality. Right. It's because they weren't kind to the foreigner. Because if you remember the story, these two angels appearing as foreigners show up to the city. By the end of the night, all the men of the city show up to gang rape them. Yep. And Lot, father of the year, says, no, don't harm my friends. Take my two virgin daughters. Golly, that's a, that's a great guy right there. Um, it's probably contextual. Like something going on there is very contextual. Mm. I'm not saying that you should look at Lot as like the you know, father like, of the year. Or yeah, typological figure of the type of father we should be. But Ezekiel interpreted that they weren't kind to the foreigner. So in his context, when he's living and writing, that's what was important for the story. That was the context that that story had the most impact. Right. Fast forward, post-Jesus, towards the end of you know the first century, uh, current era, and you get this little bitty epistle written by a guy named Jude. It's right before the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. I think it's only one chapter, uh, if I remember correctly. Jude, when Jude interprets um, Sodom and Gomorrah and refers to it, it is only one chapter. Um, it's about their sexual sin. It's about their sexual immorality. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Jude, verse 7. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural lust, serve in his example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Um, well, apparently that's also contextual because that does not match Ezekiel. Right. They have two differing opinions in interpreting one story. Those are both in the Bible. So, our previous conversation earlier about inerrancy, there you go. Um, but, furthermore, you have to ask yourself these questions and you have to read this book well enough and have voices and guides that can tell you these ins and outs or point you to resources like Inspired, Rachel's book. Oh my gosh, it's great. Um, like commentaries that are reputable. You have to know what's going on in order to be able to read and discern the divine from this book because you have to be able to ask yourself, are these universal claims? Are these, excuse me, cultural claims? Or are these contextual claims? Last example, Paul in the issue of women in ministry. Once again, in the Timothy correspondence, the author says, for I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Okay? Interesting. Um. Romans 
You're introduced to a lady named Phoebe. Or is it Phoebe or Chloe? Can't it's Phoebe. It's Phoebe. Don't quote me on this. I'm gonna just look it up. Don't I'm pretty sure me. it's Phoebe. I think it's Phoebe. Pretty sure it's Phoebe. I'm just checking though. That'd be the worst thing I do though. Just catch me lying. Uh yeah. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Um so growing up. Also in First Timothy, qualifications of a deacon. Yep. You're to be a one-woman man. Mm. It's the most literal translation of the Greek there. So fundamentalists took that to mean that women can't be deacons. Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centria. Golly. Come on, bro. Um, read your Bible a little better. Yeah. Read your stinking Bible a little better. Um, is that cultural or contextual? Cultural. Or is it universal? So the, well, there, yeah. It's not easy. You have to ask these questions for yourself and you, and this is, this is my one thing, and we'll probably end up doing another episode on this to give you some more examples. We'll walk through some other examples next week, but really, it's not as simple as just picking up the Bible and reading it and like getting divine revelation from it every time. This is a book that covers thousands of years of history and cultures and different people groups. Um, It's just not as easy as, well, if it's written in black, I've got to obey it. Um, There's probably a lot more nuance to this. There's probably a lot of culture and context that have made its way in and we as we approach it and discern the voice of the divine we should have these principles which you said your litmus test was jesus next week i'm going to give you like some other principles and things to work off of as well but discerning the divine i think the primary most important thing is that when we approach the bible we believe fully that God breathed into it and therefore they will absolutely breathe out of it. Thanks for listening to the Practicing Presence podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.